Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In 1843, American author Edgar Allan Poe published a short story with the title, Goldbug. The tale, set in South Carolina, involved the discovery of a secret encoded message, or cipher, which claimed to lead to the hidden treasure of 17th century pirate, Captain William Kidd. While Poe himself did not invent the style of cryptogram used in the tale, a simple substitution cipher first used by Roman Emperor Julius Caesar, the author's fascination with secret messages helped popularize cryptography in American culture, influencing 19th century news and fiction alike, including, but not limited to, Robert Louis Stevenson's classic novel, Treasure Island. But while Poe's tale of hidden treasure was one of pure fiction, in 1885, a Lynchburg, Virginia book publisher offered one that it claimed was in fact real. Releasing a small pamphlet of encrypted messages stating that once decoded would lead an individual to the whereabouts of a tantalizingly large treasure buried somewhere in Bedford County that included thousands of pounds of gold silver, and jewels. But now, after more than a century, the location of this treasure is yet to be discovered. And even today, two of the three cryptograms included have yet to be solved. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. In 1885, the Lynchburg, Virginian Book and Job Print Office 
published a small pamphlet with the somewhat long-winded title, The Beale Papers, containing authentic statements regarding the treasure buried in 1819 and 1821 near Buford's in Bedford County, Virginia, and which has never been recovered. For the hefty fee of 50 cents, one could purchase this 23-page document, which not only told the story of a large hidden treasure of gold, silver, and jewels, but also contained three secret ciphers that would allegedly lead an individual to the treasure's whereabouts. According to the Beale Papers, as the pamphlet was known, the ciphers originated with a man named Thomas J. Beale. Beale arrived in Lynchburg, Virginia, sometime in January of 1820, checking into the Washington Hotel. Robert Morris, the innkeeper of the establishment, described the man as, quote, about six feet in height, with jet black eyes and hair of the same color, worn longer than was the style at that time. His form was symmetrical and gave evidence of unusual strength and activity, but his distinguishing feature was a dark and swarthy complexion. Beale supposedly came and went from the Washington Hotel several times in these first months of 1820, and his social nature and friendly attitude made him a popular guest. But after March of that year, Beale would not be seen in Lynchburg again until January 1822, when he once again came and went for several months. But this time, prior to his final departure in March, Beale entrusted Robert Morris with an iron box, which he said contained, quote, papers of value and importance that either he or one of his men would one day return to collect. Adding that Morris should only open the box himself if it was still in his possession after 10 years had passed. But after Thomas J. Beale left Lynchburg, he was never seen in the area again, and Morris's only contact with the mysterious stranger came in the form of a letter sent from St. Louis, promising that a friend of Beale's would be mailing the innkeeper all of the information necessary to solve the ciphers. Unfortunately, no contact was ever made. Ten years passed, and still the ciphers remained in the care of Morris, who chose not to open the box until 1845, 23 years after receiving it. And inside, Morris found several receipts, three papers covered entirely with numbers, and a note from Beale that told the story of a treasure that he himself had hidden. In early April 1817, Thomas Beale and a group of 29 men departed on an adventure across America. 
the men travel through the country's western plains, arriving in Santa Fe, before deciding to head north in search of buffalo. But instead of buffalo, the explorers found something even more attractive. While camped in a small ravine, the group came across a cleft in the rocks, leading to a natural opening where they discovered, quote, something that had the appearance of gold. So the men went to work, and over the following 18 months, they removed thousands of pounds of precious metals from the mine. Then, in an attempt to keep this newfound treasure safe, the men charged Beale with transporting the goods back to Virginia to be safely hidden until their work was complete and they could each claim their share of the prize. But the journey back was long and the treasure weighty. So to ease his travels, upon reaching St. Louis, Beale exchanged some of the gold and silver for jewels, allowing him to secretly make multiple trips to Bedford County where he successfully hid this cash. Then, as a safeguard to ensure the men out west would receive their fair share of the treasure, even if something were to happen to him, Beale encrypted three messages, which he secured in an iron box. The package that he had entrusted with Robert Morris. When Robert Morris finally opened the box in 1845, he found Beale's ciphers, but to him, they seemed to be nothing more than pages full of arbitrary numbers, labeled and identified as one, two, and three. According to the note included in the box, cipher one identified the location of the hidden treasure. Cipher two gave a description of what the treasure included. And cipher three was a list of the men and their heirs who the treasure belonged to. So Morris spent the next two decades attempting to solve the three ciphers, but his attempts proved unsuccessful. So prior to his death in 1863, Morris left the iron box and all of its contents to an unidentified friend. Fortunately, this still unknown friend succeeded where Morris had failed. Using a published version of the United States Declaration of Independence as a key, the man managed to decrypt Beale's second cipher, a modified version of a book cipher where the number on the note represented the location of a word in the key. For example, if the number in the cipher is three, you would select the third word of the key. The resulting message read, I've deposited in the county of Bedford, about four miles from Buford's, in an excavation or vault, six feet below the surface of the ground, the following articles, belonging jointly to the parties whose names are given in number three. The first deposit, consisted of 1014 pounds of gold 
and 3,812 pounds of silver, deposited November 1819. The second was made December 1821 and consisted of 1,907 pounds of gold and 1,288 of silver. Also jewels obtained in St. Louis in exchange to save transportation and valued at $13,000. The above is securely packed in iron pots with iron covers. The vault is roughly lined with stone and the vessels rest on solid stone and are covered with others. Paper number one describes the exact locality of the vault so that no difficulty will be had in finding it. Unfortunately, Bill's cipher describing that exact location could not be solved, so the unknown man passed the encryptions along to yet another friend, James B. Ward. And it was Ward who published them in 1885 as the infamous pamphlet titled The Beale Papers. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Or well, call she, the police. Or call the police, like she should have, <laughs> exactly. What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you.
Over a century has passed since the publication of the Beale Papers. Yet even today, in the modern age of supercomputers, the cipher is yet to have been successfully decrypted. However, upon examination of the legitimacy and authenticity of the document, it is not so surprising that the mystery remains. Modern researchers, analysts, and codebreakers have been using computers in an attempt to decrypt the Beale ciphers since the 1960s. But in spite of their inability to decrypt the code, what they have instead uncovered is that the ciphers do not appear to have the characteristics typically associated with properly encoded encryptions. The second cipher, the only one to have been solved, has a handful of errors in it when examining it next to the Declaration of Independence, the key used to break the cipher. While it is certainly possible that an alternate version of the document was used to encode the message, or even that it was merely done poorly, it is more likely that the Beale ciphers are merely a hoax. Proponents of this theory claim that the errors in the encryption point to the fact that the cipher was never really encrypted in the first place. Instead, it may have been created to seem as though it had been successfully solved in order to achieve publicity. Publicity that would help sell the pamphlet and earn the publishers a nice profit. After all, in 1885, 50 cents was a high price for a 23-page pamphlet, which adjusted for inflation would cost $14.23 today. Numerous other factors also cast doubt on the document's legitimacy. The majority of the pamphlet's content was the background information for the cipher's origins, which the publisher claimed to have been written by Robert Morris's unidentified friend of whom the pamphlet claimed chose to hide his identity in an effort to avoid being contacted by interested persons and treasure hunters. Yet scholarly analysis of this writing, along with the supposed letters of Thomas Beale, suggests that enough linguistic similarities exist between the pamphlet's contents that they were likely all written by one man. In addition, the use of words such as stampede and improvise, which were written in the Beale letters, had not yet been recorded as being a part of English vernacular until the 1820s and 1830s, respectively. So how could Beale have known the words to use them in the letters? Thus, it is likely that whoever penned the 1885 pamphlet used these words unaware that 50 years prior people would not have understood their meaning. With this in mind, it is likely that the author of the Beale Papers was their publisher, James B. Ward. Historically, there's very little information on Ward. He's almost untraceable in the historical record of Virginia, with the single exception being a man of the same name who owned the home in which Sarah Morris the wife of innkeeper Robert Morris died in 1863. 
that same year, this James Ward is also recorded as becoming a master mason in the Freemasons. As for the mysterious Thomas J. Beale, there is much doubt as to whether there ever actually was a man by this name residing in Virginia, as records identifying someone by his name in the area are almost untraceable. The most intriguing option is found in the 1820 census, which recorded a Captain Thomas Beale, who was originally from Botetot County, Virginia, not far from Bedford County, where the treasure is believed to have been buried. Another interesting link with this Captain Beale is that he served in the 1815 Battle of New Orleans. Interestingly, there's a connection between the vernacular of New Orleans during this time and the language used in the Beale letters. While the words stampede and improvise were not yet used in English, they were of Spanish and French origin, respectively, and had both been recorded and known to have been used in New Orleans during French and Spanish rule. It could therefore be entirely possible that someone writing in English in the 1820s could reasonably have been exposed to include words that were not yet commonplace in the rest of the country. One other notable record of a Thomas Beale, although with an alternate spelling, can be found in the 1820 customer lists of the St. Louis Post Department. According to the Beale papers, the gentleman passed through St. Louis several times as he traveled to and from Virginia and is said to have traded gold for jewels there, as well as sent Robert Morris his final correspondence in 1822. The disputable authenticity of the Beale ciphers has not deterred enthusiastic treasure hunters and cryptanalysts from trying their hand at decoding the remaining ciphers. A variety of historical works have been attempted to be used as their key, from the United States Constitution to the Magna Carta and even the Bible. But the mystery remains, and so far in spite of two centuries of searching for Thomas Beale's elusive treasure, no sign of a grand stash of gold, silver, and jewels ever been found. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you've been listening to Southern Gothic. Southern Gothic is an independently produced podcast created by siblings Brianne and Brandon Schecksneider with the support of listeners like you. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to receive even more content, including ad-free episodes, head over to our Patreon page today. The link is in the show notes. Lucky Lady Shacks. Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real, or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. 
Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now, wherever you get your podcasts. What's something you learned in history class that you feel like wasn't the whole truth? Better yet, what's something you didn't learn at all that was omitted completely? That's what I like to call redacted history. My name is Andre White, the host of the Redacted History Podcast, the place where history's forgotten events, heroes, and villains get their story told, one episode at a time. The Redacted History Podcast. Real history never dies. Stream the Redacted History Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.